Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Rebecca Stead, whose books for children include First Light, the Newbery Medal winning When You Reach Me, and Liar and Spy. Stead's latest book, Goodbye Stranger, is being published in August by Wendy Lamb Books at Random House Children's Books, which is sponsoring this podcast. The friendship between three New York City 7th graders is at the center of Goodbye Stranger. Bridge, who survived a near-fatal accident years earlier and has recently taken to wearing cat ears on her head. Emily, a talented athlete who's beginning to attract attention from boys. And Tabitha, who's exploring a burgeoning interest in feminism. As their close friendship is tested, readers also spend time with Sherm, a boy Bridge is spending more and more time with uh, herself, and a mystery high school-age narrator with struggles of her own. Rebecca, thanks for speaking with me. It's a pleasure to be here. So it's uh, back to Manhattan after a trip to Brooklyn in uh, Liar and Spy. Yes, a quick, a quick trip to Brooklyn. So now we've covered both of the boroughs in which I've lived. Okay. Were you ready to uh, kind of uh, get back to these neighborhoods after uh, When You Reach Me? Um, yeah, I think that I naturally tend to write about New York City. It's not deliberate at all. It's just that this is what I know. And so it's easy for me to, you know, pick out the small details that I need to write well. And I don't know, I don't seem to be able to escape it. Not yet. So even though they're set in different parts of the city and different boroughs of of your books to date, do you feel like this one and Liar and Spy uh, maybe have maybe the most in common sort of thematically? That's interesting. Um, I don't know. It could be. I tend not to think about theme too much when I'm writing. I think about ideas that sort of can create echoes from one another. That's sort of a strange way of saying that I take a long time coming up with sort of a set of ideas or circumstances that feel taken together, rich enough to create a story that asks a lot of interesting questions. But I don't think about it really in terms of theme. Mm. I had seen, I think, maybe in the Horn book, there was an interview from a few years ago where you'd spoken about writing on the scale of real life, I think you put it. And yes. I, that certainly feels like something that uh, feels very, could, could be easily applied to, to this book. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I know you have kids of your own and that you're also out there in schools all the time talking with students. Are some of the, the issues and conflicts that, that pop up in this book, are those ones that you've seen firsthand, either at home or in visits or otherwise, things like that? Yeah, uh, definitely. A lot of the little ideas that I come up with are almost like little scraps, you know, that I pick up here and there. They're not all necessarily connected to my life or my kid's life. Sometimes it's kind of an attenuated relationship. It can even be something, you know, that I heard on the radio. But often it is, you know, some some little detail or scrap that's from, you know, the the community, the parenting community here in New York, but also if not, it's not always contemporary. Some pieces come from the past. So I kind of, you know, it ends up, it ends up being very difficult to trace sort of where each idea or little piece came from, because often I don't even really know myself. You mentioned, you know, sort of trying to gather sort of ideas and pieces that sort of feel like they, you know, begin to fit together maybe to tell the story you want to tell. Do you remember what some of the the earliest sparks are the ones that have maybe carried through as the books developed that were maybe the most important to you from the start? 
Uh, for Goodbye Stranger or? Uh, for Goodbye Stranger. Well, there was one story. The Emily story is sort of, which is a story about a girl who, uh, what's the best way to put this? Well, you put it pretty well. I mean, she's attracting the attention of boys, and um, she feels pretty ready for that attention, actually. And uh, it's an interesting time of life, you know, middle school for girls in particular, because a lot of them are having these new identities forced upon them in a way. And I don't mean that in a, you know, really awful negative way. It sounds kind of doomy, but... Um, what I mean is that they begin to be seen differently by the world around them and they begin to see themselves differently. And that is definitely something that I'm exploring with this story. And Emily's story, which is sort of about steps and, and missteps and a lot of, I mean, she's trying to do some sort of deep thinking about who she is in this new body and, and what she wants and what it is to other people and whether it's okay for her to feel great about herself. You know, is that allowed? Um, is something that I really wanted to talk about and was definitely one of the first pieces that I had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely felt that sometimes that like, it wasn't just a book about growing up, but also maybe in, you know, being forced again, or just having to grow up kind of fast. Like Bridge has this accident when she's when she's much younger, and it seems to maybe give her an early sense of uh, mortality, or just you know present some questions about what does life mean. And then Sherm is kind of in mourning for his grandfather, who's totally still alive, but you know the way their family used to be is is kind of gone. Yes, yeah. There's this idea that um, actually comes from a novel written by William Maxwell called So Long, See You Tomorrow. And a lot of people have heard me talk about this novel because I, I love it a lot. Um, and it's about childhood and sort of the complicated world seen through a child's eyes. But it's a book for adults. But there's this idea in it about he thinks about his mother's death as sort of his having walked through a door that he never intended to pass through. And now that he's through it, there's no way back, you know, to, to where he was before. Mm -hmm. And I find that something that I think about a lot, um, just in my own life and also in writing, that we do pass through certain doors where we may not even mean to be going through them. It may be almost accidental. But once we're through, there's no turning back. And there is a kind of mourning you know, that, like a feeling, not because I'm not always talking about a death or a separation, but just the kind of change that, you know, that is permanent. And I think that that's something that kids experience a lot. And so I like to think about that kind of thing when I'm writing for kids. And it seems like almost every, uh, or at least many of the characters in the book are aware of that in different ways and on different levels, um, sort of an awareness of being caught between the way things were and the way that they are. Um, it's almost like, you know, can a friendship oath that was sworn over a Twinkie a few years ago survive uh, the seventh grade? Exactly. I mean, and are you even the same person that you were when you made that promise, you know, or where is the person that you, that you loved the way you loved your friend in fourth grade? You know, if now you're in high school, does that person exist anymore? And, or are you the same person you were? I think that those are really interesting questions for all of us, really, but especially for kids. 
And then, you know, technology itself, you know, plays a, a pretty strong role in the book. It, it pops up a lot, maybe more so than I even re- remember in some of your previous books. Um, you know, the kids are on their phones all the time. Uh, they're sending you know, texts and pictures back and forth. There's, uh, you know, pedometer apps that are used as for, a, for an ongoing bet that's going through the book. Um, you know, are you someone who feels like the acceleration of technology that we've seen is something that is also sort of accelerating maybe the speed with which you sort of have to walk through those doors and accelerating childhood itself? Um, I don't know if it changes the speed. I think it complicates things. You know, I mean, we all had to worry about, you know, the identities that we created in middle school, right? But now kids have to think about their, their live identities, but they also have these kind of alter ego online identities. And to tell you the truth, we all have these too. I mean, you know, I have a Twitter account in which I'm a person who is not really exactly like the person I am in real life. You know, if I'm having a horrible day, I'm not someone who talks about that on Twitter, right? So it's almost like you're deliberately creating a certain identity when you use these social media apps. And it's tiring, you know, and it's a lot of work and there's, you know, there's, there are challenges. And I think that, that kids and especially girls, I think, although I'm no, I'm no expert, but I, I do think that girls are more present, you know, on like Instagram and Twitter um, and maybe Facebook, certainly with pictures and, and maybe with words. I'm not sure. I may be completely wrong about that. That is my sort of informal observation of the situation, having um, spied a little bit on mm-hmm. on Instagram um, in a middle school community. Um, and so I, I guess I think that it just makes it that much more complicated to create really not just one identity, but but several. And, and you're also creating an identity that's, that people can study, you know? I mean... They can they can pull your profile up on a screen depending on, you know, where you are. There are so many places to be. But say you're on Instagram. I mean, someone can sit there and study every picture you put there and comment on it on it and talk about it with other people. And, um, you know, that's pretty daunting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a piece that was going around online uh, last couple of weeks talking about you know, growing up before, you know, the age of uh, the internet and, you know, it's not like, you know, kids weren't, you know, doing questionable things or even taking maybe an inappropriate photo back then, but you don't have to necessarily worry about it being so instantly uh, disseminated the way that. Yes, absolutely. Right. One misstep and, you know, the whole world pounces. I mean, we've seen that, you know, even among people, adults who are really experienced and should certainly know better. You know, there are lots of people who just, you know, make, make a mistake and there's not a lot of forgiveness really. So speaking of, uh, things that are online, I hadn't, uh, planned on mentioning this, but one of your tweets actually did pop up in my feed recently. And it was about, um, a girl whose t-shirt that had read feminist was, uh, was censored in a class photo. And it was so striking to see that juxtaposed with the way that the girls in the book are also experiencing feminism and, and their bodies and the way that their bodies are being viewed, uh, in different ways. (laughs) I honestly, that's the kind of thing that if I, if I had found it when I was writing the book, I would have put it in the book. And then I would have thought, this is just too heavy handed, like it's just pointing too hard, you know. So I probably would have ended up taking it out because it would have seemed so absurd, Mm -hmm. you know, and like too strong, kind of like too, too on the nose, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
you could totally I see Tabitha. I believe that it oh. happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she'd wear that shirt. To- absolutely. <laughs> but then if, you know, if I had the school black out the, the word in the photo, it just would have seemed like, oh, come on, you know. <laughs> what school would do that? That's just too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not even just Tabitha in this story either. I mean, she certainly has a certain kind of feminism she's exploring and, you know, sort of being uh, introduced to in the book. But her friends are right there with her. And there's, you know, these questions that come up when, you know, I don't want to, you know, we don't want to give away too much of the story, but when, you know, M starts, she takes a picture of herself. It's like, is it okay for me to, to actually like the way that I look in this photo? And not to mention the fact that she's sort of coming into her own as an athlete and her own skin and, you know, her, her own abilities. Yes. And thank you for noticing that Tab is not the only sort of person having feminist thoughts in this story. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like, you know, she's looking for and discovering different pieces, you know, um, from what other people are exploring and talking about. And not everybody is labeling it the same way. I mean, there is no one feminism, certainly really for any of us, but also especially for young women and girls. So I really deliberately without sort of getting all researchy or overthinking it, I really wanted them all to be touching upon some deep thoughts kind of about what it means, you know, to be at the stage of life where they are, you know, supposed to be taking on sort of these sexual identities. What does it mean to like someone and know you like them, but you're not actually ready to touch them? Or what if you are ready, you know, or what if you're interested in the ideas behind a lot of it? I mean, these are all sort of different facets of the same big, I don't want to call it an issue, but subject. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, on a different topic, how did the, uh, the process of this book coming together uh, compare to uh, your previous ones? Was it similar? Well, every book is its own sort of terrifying um, adventure. But um, this one I actually wrote differently. Uh, I wrote it mostly longhand, which was a new process for me. And that may seem like a really superficial thing, like, oh, do you type on a computer or do you write longhand? But um, for me, it actually really changed the process. And the reason why I decided to try writing longhand is that I wanted to force myself to move forward with the story. And I have a tendency to go back. I'll write a little bit, and then the next day I'll... I'll, I may want to write, but what I end up doing actually is going back and rereading or reworking. And I wanted to see what it would feel like to just push forward. And so that's what I did with this story. So I sat in a window seat where I didn't have access to my computer with um, a pencil usually and paper. And I just wrote longhand. And then I often actually dictated what I had written instead of typing it just to completely change the process. And writing longhand for me means you can't go back because the idea of going back and editing on a piece of paper is now so foreign to me that I really never do it. I only edit really on the screen. So this book was built differently, actually. And it was satisfying to to do the work that way. Did the structure stay fairly intact in terms of the way that you, uh, the book sort of is shifting between uh, different narrators and different types of... Uh, narration. Yeah, it did mostly. I wrote it. I wrote it. I wrote the pieces all interspersed, kind of the way they are in the book. I didn't write one storyline and then the next storyline, you know, and then kind of mesh them. But they definitely were kind of, you know, like the 
so there's one main storyline, I, I would say, right, in Goodbye Stranger. Mm -hmm. And then there are, are two other stories that are told in sort of sporadically in shorter pieces. So I, I re-spaced, you know, I, I made decisions during the revision process about exactly where those should fall and why. But it did look a lot like that in the first draft, the first written draft, just sort of more bunched up awkwardly. So I tried to just think a lot about the pacing, but that was much later in the process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned, there's, there is this sort of mystery uh, narrator in the book and you know, we don't need to give away anything there, but I don't, I don't think it's too spoilery to, to say that this character is in high school, unlike the other characters. Did you know you wanted to have a, uh, an older perspective in the mix with what was going on in the main sort of thread of the story? Um, I only knew as I was writing it. I don't. I hardly ever make decisions before I write. I don't plan a book before I write write it. So I mean, I knew I knew who she was, and I knew you know that I wanted her to be a part of the story. And I was interested in the fact that this is a character who you get to see sort of from the inside and from the outside. And I think that that was mostly what I was thinking about as I was writing. I guess that's about as deliberate as the decision got. <laughs> mm -hmm. So this is, I think, you know, some five years uh, post your winning uh, the Newberry. Is now, even now, the award something that you see continuing to have an effect on uh, on your life as a writer? I think it absolutely has an effect. You know, it's like this. In a way, it gets better as time goes on, um, because I think that when 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 you reach me. Um, was given the Newberry, it was sort of, it was wonderful and, and shocking. Um, and it has taken a long time to sort of get used to the idea, but it's also really nice to be a couple books away from the Newberry book because there was a sort of self-consciousness that came over me after that happened in my writing. And it feels nice to have sort of the great honor of having, you know, one of those, and then at the same time to have some distance from it so that I feel just a little bit freer and um, less self-conscious in my writing. I know it's horrible to ask this when Goodbye Stranger itself is not out for several months yet, but are you already uh, working on or thinking about uh, future projects? Uh, I mean, I'm trying to have thoughts about the next project, but... I'm never very good at leaping from one book um, to another. I seem to really need this period where, you know, I sincerely believe I will never write another book and I feel kind of useless and, and um, it takes a long time for me to sort of warm up to the idea of the next book. So that's where I am now. I also do have an idea to which I always return between books. I think this idea came after my first book. And then I went back to it after my second book and after my third book. And so uh, I seem to be, I can't tell what that is, if I'm actually going to work on it and take it somewhere or if it's an idea that is just, you know, a place I spend time while I'm coming up with my next story. Well, thanks again for speaking with me and uh, congratulations on the new book. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Once again, I've been speaking with Rebecca Stead, whose fourth novel, Goodbye Stranger, is out in August from Wendy Lamb Books. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.